0: Behold, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Let us pray. Almighty God, who is and was and is to come, with expected hearts, we, your people, await Christ's coming. We give you thanks for his first coming, and we anticipate his second coming. As once he came in humility, so now may he come in glory that he may make all things perfect in your everlasting kingdom. For he is Lord forever and ever, now and always. To whom along with you, O Father, and the Holy Spirit, be honor and dominion, now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 198, Lift Up Your heads, You Mighty Gates. When the Lord comes, he will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness, the things hidden in our own hearts, the things hidden in this world of sin, and he will disclose the purposes of every person's heart. Therefore, in the light of Christ, let us confess our sin to Almighty God. Let us pray. Most holy God, who searches the hearts of all people and separates the wheat from the chaff, we confess that we have rebelled against you, and committed such sin that we have loved ourselves more than our neighbors and have dishonored and rebelled against you and your holy laws. We bring nothing to you but await your salvation, who was Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem, but now shall come with lightning and fire to separate the wicked from the righteous. Come, O King, and save us. Give us grace to cast away the works of darkness, and to put on the armor of light, now in the time of this mortal life, in which your Son came to us in great humility, that on the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Christ was revealed in the flesh, proclaimed among the nations, and believed in throughout the world. He has reconciled us to God, and he is our peace, our peace with God and our peace with each other. People of God, I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ that all those who have faith in him and repent of their sin are truly forgiven of all their sin. This is the good news of the gospel. We say together, Praise be to God. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, obey these words that come from the Apostle. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 194, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Let us bring our prayers to our Heavenly Father. Most merciful and faithful God, we thank you for hearts set free to praise you and that we have gathered this day by the power of your word and spirit to sing that praise and offer that praise to you. We thank you for lives rescued from the power of sin, for the gift of your beloved Son who takes away the sin of the world and makes your creation glorious. And even now, as we await the second advent of our Savior, we give you thanks and praise, and we offer you our prayers in the full confidence that your salvation comes to set free the captives and save your people. Hear us now as we call out to you. O God, you are the victorious Lord, victorious from the beginning. Never have you been defeated. You send your Son who appeared to the nations in humility and power. And that is why the pride of rulers and governments cause us to shake our heads and cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, come. See, O God, the conflict of the nations, the misery of millions who are tyrannized by wicked and unjust leaders who must live in horrid conditions and only have a small bit of food to eat each day. We think of people around this world, but especially in Syria, where the wars continue in Ukraine, Haiti, North Korea, Iran, and other such places. And we pray that their misery would be relieved, not with good intentions and not overlooked by us in our comfort, but we pray that they would have better governments and economies that create sustainable jobs and safe living conditions and the freedom for your people to worship you. Hear our prayers for the nations in this world. With your holy Son ruling over us, with the Lord Jesus Christ as our King, we pray without partisan feelings, but with a desire for peace and justice for the people of this land. So we bring petitions for those who govern us, for our president, for our senators, for our representatives, for our governor, Gretchen Whitmer, and the justices of our courts. And we pray that good policies would come forth by the direction of your gracious hand, even in the midst of foolishness and the lust for power. Here are concerns about immigration policies and justice for the poor and the weak, disordered sexual desires, charity between men and women, in the shootings in our cities. hear our prayers. Our prayers are made with the multitude of your people around this world who all confess, in you, O oh Lord, do we seek refuge, and we are not put to shame. Your promised Savior, Jesus Christ, has come to us in him, and in him we are joined into one body. We pray for the well-being of the church. We pray for the repentance of the church. We pray for the community of Christ's people to have a compassion on sinners without condoning sin. And for your grace to transcend the barriers of politics and society so that we may testify to the world of the salvation of Jesus Christ. May your spirit give to us such an awareness of ourselves that we do repent of trying to conform the Christian faith and worship and life to the world around us. Instead, may we make known your great and mighty deeds of salvation to the nations according to the gospel. Here are our prayers then for the church. As Mary sang of your regard for her, in her low estate, so you regard our low estate in weakness and sickness and pain and trouble and grief. Heal us, O God, in body and soul. Rejuvenate our faith in you. Give us the means to care for one another and the time to do so. Here are our prayers now for Frida and Eduardo, for Bob and Fawn, for Jeff and Linda, for Becky, for Karen, Angie, Mrs. Mesner, Phil, Bob, Tom, Seth and Vicki, Dominique, Linda's friend Judy, and others who come to mind. Shine forth, O God, in your glorious sun to dispel the clouds of doom and sadness that cast their shadows upon us. May his light give us joy and peace. The Son of Righteousness, rising in the East, who burns away the fog of sin and warms the coldness of this world with your glorious redemption. To you, the one true God, we offer our prayers in the name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven.
1: Please be seated. And as we prepare to uh, open God's word this morning and hear from it, uh, please join in praying for his illumination. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning and for a chance to gather in your name to uh, fellowship and uh, with one another and commune together with each other and with you. And we thank you at this time for a chance to open your word. Praise you for putting us in a time and place when uh, your word is so readily available. and We have so many resources to help us uh, understand. But we know it is is by your spirit that we have ears to hear. And we pray that you would open our ears right now. And that we would hear uh, what you have to say to us this morning. We would be edified by it and um, would grow in our understanding of your gospel and in our faith. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our Old Testament reading um, comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Our Psalter response comes from Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing. of so Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city to which the tribes go up, tribes Lord, as was decreed for Israel. To give to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls. And security within your for my brothers and companions' sake, For the sake of the house of the Lord our God. Our epistle reading comes from the epistle to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verses 18 to 29. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words make the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Finally, our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. Verses 36 to 44. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. And would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The Word of the Lord.
0: Images of the church are critical for how we understand the church, so the way we, in our imaginations and our minds, see the church, think of the church, is very critical for how we understand the church. Today, there are dismissive images of the church, there are destructive images of the church that break it down, and there are images used in scripture that elucidate the work of God. Guess which ones we should pay attention to? The latter always seek the good of the church, even if they judge it. So definitely in the, in the scriptures, the church comes under the judgment of God. It's under the Lord who judges all things, and yet it's always seeking the good of the church. Scripture uses images for the church like a living temple, a living, uh, living stones being built into a living temple of the Holy Spirit, a household, a family, and a city. Psalm 122 presents us with an image that has been used for the church. Here's that image in this psalm of ascent, so just I'll try to put it out there for you. They traveled along the roads. They traveled along the paths. A few sat on donkeys. Most went by foot. They walked in large groups, companies of men, women, and children. These companies of people came from the north, they came from the south, from the east, and from the west. They were all headed for the same destination, for you see, they were going to Jerusalem. In fact, God had required them to go on pilgrimages like this. Exodus 23 says, Three times a year you shall keep a feast to me, three times in the year shall all of you appear before the Lord God. The travel was not easy, there were bandits hiding in the hills, which is one reason they traveled in large groups. During the day, it was hot, dry, and dusty. At night, it was cold, and sometimes they had to sleep on the ground. There were plenty of reasons for discouragement. Along the way, the bands of people conversed about the things of life. Now and then, they huffed and puffed together as they strained up a hill, and they sang. They sang what are called the Songs of Ascent. They sang some of them on their way, and they sang many of them when they reached their destination. The Psalms are Psalms of Ascent. There's a bit of progression with these Psalms of Ascent. The first Psalm of Ascent is Psalm 120. And you'll notice it has that uh, inscription at the very beginning of it, which is actually in the Hebrew. It's not just added there. So the first Psalm of Ascent, Psalm Hundred and Twenty, is at the beginning of the journey when the pilgrims live where the pilgrims live among those who are deceitful and haters of peace. And the Psalm, Psalm 120, says, Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. And too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. So these Psalms of Ascent start where the people live out and about in Israel. As the pilgrimage to Jerusalem gets underway, the people look up to the hills that surround Jerusalem. And those hills are full of danger and enemies and all kinds of social unrest that comes from living in ancient Israel. And with Psalm 122... The the pilgrims arrive at their destination, Jerusalem. So Psalm 120 and 21 are as they leave their homes, approach the city, and then Psalm 122 they actually arrive in the city, and that's our Psalm this morning. It says, "Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem." Verse two, and the rest of the Psalms of ascent, Psalms 123 through 134, are sung in the city, in the place of God's presence. The last psalm of ascent is spoken when the worship is at an end, it's in the evening, and it's a blessing upon the people before they must go out of the city back to their lives at home. This all reminds me of Christians in Uganda and other places around the world. Someone told me, and I can't remember who it was, but I think it was one of our missionaries, that one church where they serve in Karamanju in in Uganda meets for worship under a large tree near the missionary compound. And the people gather there, and some of those people travel three hours one way to get there every Sunday. Then they must travel three hours to go home. They make the journey because they want to give thanks to God for his salvation in Jesus Christ, and they make the journey to hear his word and to be fed with the food of Christ. And when the worship is finished, they return to where they live to be witnesses to him wherever they are and in whatever they're doing. Psalm 122 gives us a biblical image of the church. Psalm 122 presents to us the people of God rejoicing and giving thanks for Jerusalem. It says, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord, which was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the place where God's presence was and where his people gathered for worship And after its opening line, Psalm 122 begins to address Jerusalem. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. It's speaking to Jerusalem. Repeatedly, it addresses Jerusalem directly. Verse 3 says, Jerusalem. And then verse 6 says, may they be secure who love you. Verse 7 says, peace be within your walls. Verse 8 says, peace be within you. Verse 9 says, I will seek your good. All these lines speak to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. The psalm is joyful for certain things set out by God in Jerusalem. It rejoices that Jerusalem is set, to be, is set to be a place of refuge. It's a city bound firmly together, verse 3 says. It's built compactly and solidly. And as the pilgrims entered the city, they would see its high walls and its towers. It was set up to be a place of protection from hostile powers. And another psalm, Psalm 48, sings of the city of the great king and says, Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. Talking about the same city. Solid walls, towers, citadels, they're symbols of the refuge given by God. And another psalm of ascent, Psalm 125, makes this clear. It says, Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. It was God's purpose that Jerusalem be a place of refuge. For the pilgrims, Jerusalem was a city that was safe from their enemies. They had passed through the hills where the bandits hid. They had come from the other parts of Israel where other cities and nations threatened to raid them, like Syria and Ammon and the Moabites. Outside Jerusalem, it was dangerous and threatening. Once inside Jerusalem, the people would be safe with God and with each other. Second, the psalm rejoices that Jerusalem was set out by God to be a place of praise. Verse 4, Jerusalem, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as, as was decreed to Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. It was a place of unity in praise to God. Jerusalem was the capital city of Judah. And the pilgrims came from all around and they converged on the city. So you have all these these people who live all over the place scattered about. And as they come together, they're being joined together. They're coming together in unity. They all came together there in Jerusalem. And in that unity, they knew each other as brothers and sisters and neighbors. Verse 8 says, For my brothers and companions' sake... So this was more than a gathering of friends. It was a family. And they came to worship. They came to give thanks to the name of the Lord. And it was at God's behest, as was decreed for Israel, verse 4 says, but it was not just an act of obedience. They came with thankfulness. Once they arrived in Jerusalem, the Psalm, Psalms of Ascent are full of praise to God. And there are lines in these Psalms, like, To you I lift up my eyes, O you, O you. Who are enthroned in the heavens. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to the teeth of the nations. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Outside Jerusalem, the nations worshiped their own gods and they did not give thanks to God. Inside Jerusalem, the people rejoiced and praised God in unity. So the psalm rejoices in God for, because Jerusalem is a place of refuge. God sets it out as a place of refuge, a place of praise. And third, the psalm rejoices that Jerusalem is set out by God for a place of justice. Verse 5 says, There in Jerusalem, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. And the thrones it's talking about were the seats of justice that David had set up when he was king. It talks about these legal institutions in 2 Samuel. David administered justice and equity to all the people. But David did not do all this by himself. He set up a judicial system in Jerusalem where people could have their cases heard. And it was set up to ensure justice in the city. Wrongs would be addressed. The justice would be fair to everyone. And it was to judge by what was true and right. Outside Jerusalem, justice favored the rich. It was biased and vindictive. Inside Jerusalem, justice was set up to be according to the truth and righteousness of God. And finally, God set up Jerusalem for peace. The last section of Psalm 122 concerns the peace of Jerusalem. The people of God were to invoke peace for Jerusalem. Verse 6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And it was peace for Jerusalem. Peace be within your walls, says verse 7. And to enforce what this means, the psalm says it is peace for the congregation, for the city, for the people who are gathered together. Verse 8 says, for my brothers' and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you, for their sake. The people came to Jerusalem to find a harmonious unity that they had lost in their ordinary life. Here's how another Psalm of Ascent puts it: "Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity." Well, there's not much unity and harmony out in our world outside the outside the church. In the church, the uh, city of God's people is to be a place where there is uh, that good and uh, pleasant, harmonious unity. Now we need to clarify this piece that it's talking about because today people talk about all kinds of peace, anti-war peace, make peace, not war, peace of mind, mind, inner peace, no justice, no peace, you've heard these phrases. Since the psalm is talking about Jerusalem, the city, the tribes of people, the peace it invokes is a social calm. It's interesting for all the talk about peace that we get today and all these different kinds of peace, there's not a lot of social calm, is there? But that's what this is talking about, this, that kind of peace. Instead of social instability, there's calm. It's the peace of well-being. It's shalom, and that's the word that's used. So here's one way to put it. This peace is composed of well-doing and doing well. Both of those things, well-doing and doing well. This is peace that comes from doing well to others. Well-doing in what you say to each other. Well-doing in caring for each other's needs. Well-doing in promoting the good for each other. It's peace that comes from acting for the city and not just standing by to wait and see what will happen to it. It's what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians, let each of you look not to his own interests but also to the interests of others. There's well-doing in that. It's also peace that comes from love for Jerusalem. And the last verse says it, I will seek your good. Even at personal cost, it seeks the good of the city. It's not sinning against the people. It's not trash-talking the city. It's not encouraging people to run the church down or wish ill upon it. The peace of well-being comes from everyone seeking the same thing for each other, the shalom of God. Outside Jerusalem, there was social upheaval and unrest. There was fierce competition to benefit oneself over others. There was insecurity and harm. There were attacks of all kinds. But inside Jerusalem, God set out Jerusalem to be a city where there was unity and peace. It was God's purpose for Jerusalem to be a place of refuge, a place of praise and thanksgiving to God, a place of justice, and a place of peace. This was God's purpose for Jerusalem, and this is what the pilgrims sought when they came to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem was not always a place of praise to God, a refuge, a place of justice, and a place of peace. And the Bible does not try to sugarcoat that. It doesn't try to smooth smooth over what happened in Jerusalem. This is the same city that the prophet Jeremiah said set up abominations in the house of the Lord and defiled it. This is the same city where they crushed God's people and ground the faces of the poor into the ground. This is the same city that the prophet Micah said the leaders built with blood and iniquity. This is the same city where Jeremiah says, We looked for peace, but no good came, a time for healing, but behold, terror. Now, Jerusalem was not always like that. Obviously, the pilgrims came singing their Psalms of Ascent and expected to find the things that God had set it out for, and they did many times. There were times when it was a place where thanksgiving was given to God, where the city was a refuge, where there was justice and peace. But it did not live up to God's purpose fully, and God judged it for its sin and failure. But while God judged Jerusalem, he promised that he would make the city of his people a place of praise, refuge, right and true judgment, and peace. And in our Old Testament lesson from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 2, God promises that there will be another pilgrimage of people from the nations who will be streaming or flowing up the mountain of the house of the Lord just like the pilgrims of Israel who came to Jerusalem. They will come to the house of God of the God of Jacob in Jerusalem and they will learn his ways, says The prophet, there he will judge between the nations and shall settle disputes for many peoples. There will be good judgment there. And they will beat their swords into plowshares. God's presence will be in Jerusalem in such a way that there will be justice and peace. And elsewhere, the prophet Isaiah says, Behold Zion, the city of our appointed feasts. Your eyes will see Jerusalem, an untroubled habitation, an immovable tent whose stakes will never be plucked up nor will any of its cords be broken. But there the Lord of majesty will be for us, and no inhabitant will say, I am sick. The people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. It will be full of well-being. Here God promises Jerusalem will be a place, a refuge. Well, Jesus came, and he comes to us, and he leads us to the Jerusalem of God. Jerusalem, uh, Jesus actually came during his incarnation and looked over the old city of Jerusalem, and he wept. He said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. So did God give up on his purpose for Jerusalem to be a place of praise, refuge, justice, and peace? Shall we now dismiss God's purpose for his people and act like it doesn't matter anymore because in Jerusalem... It was found to be incomplete and imperfect and have many of these failures in it. No, we must not because God has revealed his purpose and it is to have a congregation of his people where they give thanks to him that is a refuge and where there is justice and peace. He's revealed that purpose. But we'll not find that city without Christ. Hebrew 12 declares to us, who follow Christ, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And that's what the writer says to us, to the church. We are pilgrims of Christ who have already come to the new Jerusalem. Because of Jesus, there is the reconstituted Jerusalem where God's purpose is fulfilled, and with Christ we enter it. The church is to represent that new Jerusalem in this world. The church is the city where the pilgrims come from far and near. It is Christ's purpose that it be a place of praise. It is a place where you come to give thanks to God and give praise to him, where you find refuge, where judgments are made that are right and true, where there is harmonious unity and rest, and where we all seek the good for the congregation more than our own good. And where you look forward to coming to the church and saying, I was glad they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And in various degrees, this is going on in the Christian church. People come from all around to give thanks to God and to praise him for his salvation in Jesus Christ. And you all attest to this as you make your pilgrimage every Sunday to worship at Providence. It has been a place where right and true judgments have been made. It's a place of refuge. People who come to the church have found rest that they've lost in their lives. And there has been much peace. Providence Church wants to represent God's new Jerusalem where we worship God, and he speaks to us with his word, and he feeds us his food. And Providence also seeks to be a refuge. For example, outside the church, you better not show your weaknesses. Your sin, your vulnerabilities, you better not show them unless they happen to be popular and, and uh, something that everybody thinks is good today. But whatever the weaknesses are that are out of favor, and sin that's out of favor, and vulnerabilities that are out of favor, you better not show them out there. Because we live in a world where your weaknesses will be exploited to discredit you, to tear you down, and exploit you. That's the kind of world we live in. But here, in the church, we are open about our weaknesses. We confess our sin. We support each other in our struggles. We are forgiven, and we are built up according to Christ. Now, I don't mean to say that it's perfect around here. There have been times of unrest, lack of unity, and poor decisions. But God has promised that through Christ... We have come to the new Jerusalem, and one day the church will be complete in thanksgiving, refuge, justice, and peace. And that day is when Jesus returns. Psalm 122 helps us see what God is doing in this world with the church, and that's what we need, isn't it, to see what God's doing? And in particular, what he's doing with the church here. With the image of the pilgrimage of the new Jerusalem in a place As a place where we give thanks to God for Christ, where there is refuge, where there is rest, peace, and unity, we can see what God is doing. The scripture helps us see that. And even when the church fails to represent what God is doing, he does not dismiss the church and throw it away like so many people do today. Even with all of its tiredness and discouragement and disagreements and poor decisions, we have come to Mount Zion And to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, as our epistle lesson says. When Christ returns, we will be complete in the new Jerusalem. But what are we to do until Christ returns? Well, Psalm 122 tells us in the last line I will seek its good. And that raises a question for us. Will we seek the good of the church as it represents the new Jerusalem? Will we seek to make the church a place where we come to give thanks and praise to God for his salvation in Christ? Will we seek to make the church a refuge from enemies and from what threatens our relationship to God? Will we seek to make the church a place of unity in spite of all the changes in this world? Will we seek to make the church a place of rest and well-being in the midst of all that is not well in this world? In short, will you seek its good? This is the first Sunday of Advent when the church celebrates the second coming of Christ. And in our gospel lesson... Jesus says that he will come all of a sudden when no one is expecting. And he warns his disciples, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And he says, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So how are we to be ready? Well, one way is that we seek the good of the church and help it represent the new Jerusalem in this world. Today you have heard what God is doing in this world and the church. Making it a place where people gather together and give thanks to him and praise him, find refuge, and where there is unity and right true judgment and peace. This is what we're to be doing for the church while we follow Christ and wait for his second advent. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us grace to seek the good of the church to which Christ came in great humility that it may represent your heavenly Jerusalem in this world. And when he comes in glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, may the congregation of his people be diligent in its praise, judgment, unity, and peace. Through him who lives and reigns with you, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please stand and let us confess our faith. who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn is number 604, Rejoice, Ye Pure in Heart. start the celebration. Oh, let's not forget the diaconal offering. So we do collect our diaconal offering today, and if you ushers please come forward and collect it. <laughs> point of the worship service with the promise that is made in scripture regarding Jesus Christ and the meal. And today it's, uh, it's this promise. Jesus says to you, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And these promises may just fly over our heads until you become one of those people who needs to hear that promise. When you're not at rest, when you do feel heavily, heavy laden, and then you hear that promise, and it comforts you and sets apart this meal. So you've come and you've heard that promise, and may it give you comfort. This is the joyful feast of the people of God. Men and women will come from east and west, from north and south, and sit at table in the kingdom of God. It is my privilege as Christ's minister to invite all who have been baptized, who have professed their faith in Jesus Christ, and are communicant members of the Christian church to come to this table and to eat the food that our Lord gives. According to the Gospel of Luke, when our risen Lord is at table with His disciples, He took the bread and blessed, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. So come, let, and, and eat this food, and learn, and, and experience, and re- receive the blessing of God, the blessing of Jesus Christ upon you, and the salvation that he gives, the grace that he gives, to feed you and strengthen you, to serve him in this world. Join with me in giving thanks to God for our new salvation and life in Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Jesus Christ. Thanks and praise. It is indeed right and good to give you thanks and praise, Almighty God and everlasting Father, through Jesus Christ your Son. Through the words of the prophets, you promised the Redeemer and gave hope for the day when the people who walk in darkness would see a great light. And the Gospel of John tells us that that light is Jesus Christ. You sent your Son to us who humbled himself and came among us in human flesh. He fulfilled the plan you formed before the foundation of the world to open for us the way of salvation. And confident that your promise will be fulfilled, we now watch for the day when Christ our Lord will come again in glory. And we join our voices with the host of heaven, all the angels and those who've gone on before us to be in your presence, your your presence with Christ. And we join their voices to proclaim your glory, forever praising you, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Glory be to you, O Lord Most High. All glory be to you, almighty God, our heavenly Father, who of your tender mercy did give your only Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer death, death upon the cross for our redemption, and who made there by his once offering of himself a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice, an offering and satisfaction for the sin of the world, and did institute and in his holy gospel command us to continue a perpetual memory and celebration of of that his precious death until his coming again. Hear us, O merciful Father, we most humbly ask you and grant that by the power of your Holy Spirit we receiving these your creatures of bread and the cup according to your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ's holy institution in remembrance of his death and passion may by faith be partakers of his most blessed body and blood. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, by whom, and with whom, and in whom, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory be unto you, O Father Almighty, world without end. And we offer our thanksgiving with one voice and say, Amen. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup, saying this cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Take and eat this bread, drink this cup, and remember Christ's body given for you, his blood and body given for you. Receive it with faith and thanksgiving. Take and eat Let us pray. O Lord our God, make us watchful and keep us faithful as we await the coming of your Son, our Lord, that when he shall appear, he may not find us sleeping in sin and inactivity, but active in his service and joyful in his praise. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our final hymn is number 196, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen.
2: Terms of announcements this morning, uh, th- there are a few. Um, first off, we are not going to be having Christian education today uh, due to the holiday weekend, and um, so we will be picking up the Martin Luther's Christmas book not next week but the following week. Um, next week, two things are going on. Um, we're going to have a short conversation with the congregation about some of the thinking that the session. Has been working through related to uh, direction for Providence as we as we consider a number of things that are going on in the life of our congregation and in the broader um, uh, Metro Detroit area with regards to reform presence and and so forth. So uh, please plan on attending that, and we'll do that before our fellowship meal. Uh, so it should be a f- Uh, reasonably short conversation. It is intended to lead to a deeper discussion later on after the annual meeting, but this is just to set the framework for that discussion uh, later on in January. Um, And then uh, Thursday night Bible study here at the church, so please plan accordingly. And I think that's it by way of announcements. Nobody has anything to say. Well, let's dismiss.